Sam, I've got to be honest, I wasn't expecting quite so many spaceship, rocket ship analogies on 30 minutes of music advice as we got from the legend Will from Parachute. So our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, if you were wondering, is an astronaut. Um, No, he's not. He's just a very, very talented singer, (laughs) songwriter, social media star, amongst many other things. Most importantly, just being a very lovely, warm human being who I kind of just want to be best friends and have a cuddle with. So, uh, Will, invite (laughs) you next time. Um, We'll be grateful you're uh, safe distance away <laughs> seven thousand miles away but listen if you're wondering why you should care uh all of those things i just said but also more importantly will genuinely does share a lot of really valuable insights he talks about how you can treat music like a job but in a good way and find routine in it he talks about transitioning into telling stories on social media and having fun with it and it not feeling like a chore tells you how to not get fucked over on your publishing deal a bunch of genuinely really valuable insights from a dude that has smashed it in so many ways and he's also an astronaut well, I feel like this is the catchphrase of the start of these shows, but this is very sincere, listener, if you are listening and paying attention to the words I actually say right now. We're very excited to have you for a number of reasons. And the re- multiple reasons we're excited to have you is our audience is mainly musicians at the start of their career that are good. They're excited to make a living out of their music, go to you know many different parts of where that journey can take you. And you have been a successful performer, a successful songwriter, and now a successful social media badass. I don't know what better term to use than badass. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Creative. Man. So, you know, you've got so many pieces of experience and I'm sure stories that our listeners can find value from. Uh, so I promise I'm not being a lame interviewer here by opening with a very broad question because I think you've got so many different ways you can go, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, totally. back to when you were starting out, a young will, bright-eyed, but with the wisdom and experience that you have from your journey so far. What are the broad three things you just kind of wish you knew, whether it was about any specific part of the industry? Okay, so number one is no matter how big you get, you're going to be doing a lot by yourself. When Parachute first started, I think we thought that once we grew, we would eventually find people just, oh, they'll do everything for us. But even Mm -hmm. at our biggest, which was peaked in mid-2010s, so whenever that Mm -hmm. was, but we were still each doing so much, like so much. When we were touring, we were doing so much. When we were like social media stuff, like it was really like we looked back and we were like, wow, we had the wrong idea, which is you need to be comfortable doing everything yourself, whether that's you know how to advance a show if you're playing shows, like you can talk to the venue and interface with them. You know how to edit a video, you know how to you know do a, a recording demo, whatever it is, like to have a basic rudimentary knowledge of that is so important because even at the highest levels, when someone is doing it for you, you're going to have so many opinions that you need to know how to talk with those kind of people and just like you're driving the ship in every way from the beginning to the end and and from even to the the, the day we decided that we weren't going to be a band anymore or we were just going to stop touring it really was like we had this meeting and it was like cool and i was like yeah i gotta go post something and our keyboardist was like cool i'm gonna go to the venue and talk to the the merch seller and it was like <laughs> like just back to business so i think that's number one number two is um i think protecting your time is also really important Everybody's going to have a job. Most musicians, and, and me included, we had jobs before we got lucky and got to got to do it for a living. Even when you're even when you're working a job, and everybody I know here in Nashville who's a songwriter or a producer or an artist, the one commonality, no matter how big or small they are, is they're really intentional about their time. I think there are times in my life when I just let everything get in the way, and I wasn't kind of putting my foot down, saying I'm going to block out this amount of time to write or be whatever the creative part of the music industry mm-hmm. you're going to be in especially musicians, it's like you really have to say like, instead of going out on Friday night, I'm going to take 7 to 10 p.m. and just let myself get lost in that. And then at 10 p.m. 
I'm going to go to bed, whatever it is. But <laughs> I really, I think from college on, I, you know, it was very like, I just had to be super protective of that time and, and really allow myself that time. Cause if you're distracted by anything, you're not going to be working at your best. So for me, it's like, just <laughs> lock out that time, tell everybody what you're doing, just say, sorry, I got something to do, or I'm, I'm writing at that time. And it, treat it like you would your day job. And even if you're working a day job, you kind of have to have those nights or the, that time every day where you're like, I'm just going to sit down and work. And then lastly, um, this kind of relates to the first one where you're going to be doing a lot yourself. But I think, especially now more than ever, there is this sense that if I could just get a manager, if I could just get a label, if I could just, yeah. and and if I could just get a booking agent. And and yeah. what I'll say is those people will find you. Like they're going to, and a lot of people ask me like, how do you get one? How do you do it? It's like, dude, you need to be doing your own thing and growing it in the smallest way possible. Even if it's just a little local thing, even if it's just a little online community, you're creating an ecosystem and those people are going to come help you raise that ecosystem. But that ecosystem is yours. And I think that we had this idea that like, oh, there's going to be a golden ticket once we get a manager or once we get a label or whatever. But really, it's like you need to be this little tiny rocket ship sitting on this platform. And they're the rocket fuel that comes in and says, we want to take what you're doing and go. They're not going to take you and put their put you on their rocket ship. Like that's not their job. <laughs> and so even from the very beginning, if you're a small artist playing out and busking, it's like, how do you create a community yourself and create that ecosystem that invites people in? Because once you do that, people, those kind of industry people that everyone's like, well, how do you get those? How do I find them? They'll come to you because your ecosystem is, is also bringing them in. So I think it's really important to understand that what you're doing, even at a very small level, is you're creating music that people like, you're creating a community that people like to be a part of, the, you know, fellow fans, you're, you're creating like these videos, whatever it is, online stuff, which is also important. Just and all that is is just you want to bring people in so that they can eventually discover your music. But what people don't realize is that's also the, the funnel that gets like industry people involved too. It's not just like some sort of lucky draw where you meet them in a room and suddenly it's cool. Those people are always <laughs> searching people out. And what they want to see is an artist who is very sure of themselves and has this community already built that they can come in and say, Hey, let, let me help you grow this. Cause that's just how the music industry works now. It's not like they have these kingmakers out there. I mean, I'm sure there are, but I've, I've never met one. <laughs> but it is very much, especially now more than ever, like you have the ability to release music on your own, promote it on your own. TikTok is like the lottery and you can get to play it every day. You know, like there's just so many ways you can reach people. And even if it's mm. 400 people, that's a lot of people. That's like, that's a lot of people. If you have 400 <laughs> followers who are invested and like what you do, like that's yeah. like, think about that. You fill up a room with that many people. That's a lot of people. That's probably more people yeah. than I'm friends with in my life. But you have to treat <laughs> even the smallest group of people like I want to help serve this community and, and really grow this sort of ecosystem that will eventually other people will tap into and it'll grow on its own as, as you're writing music and like getting better at doing it. I mean, where to start? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like the idea of um, distinguishing between the work you've got to do as building the rocket ship and the help that comes from all these other entities as the fuel because yeah. as you said these people who are hoping that someone will help them become famous i think they think that the record label or the manager or the agent is going to build the rocket ship but if you mm -hmm. separate it like that and see all these other entities as fuel yes responsibility always falls to you the musician to build your own rocket ship 100 percent, and it's such a especially the old school music industry i feel like it was like we have this rocket ship get on board but now more than ever with with distributors and and people like like TuneCore and and Landed like there's so many ways to put out music that it's just they're not looking for like people that they have to like build up from the ground up they just want something that they can plug to be really honest like money and 
time and their resources into, but they're not going to invest in something that's not already, you know, built and sure. It doesn't have to be necessarily huge, but there has to be some sort of ability on your own to sort of prove that, Hey, like this is a proof of concept. Look at what I've built here. And yeah, you're just, I, I always tell no matter what, like to me, that's a manager's job these days too. I was talking to somebody the other day about like, what, what does a manager do in today's music industry? It's saying, well, they're preparing that rocket ship for more fuel. They're helping fuel it. And then they're like waiting <laughs> for the bigger line to come in and fuel it, you know? And yeah, you're just sitting, you're just creating the launch pad. You're sitting on it. You're slowly growing it. And then eventually hoping that, and you might not ever get that, but at the very least, like you're prepared for when that moment comes, whether something goes viral or you meet somebody who can help you do something, a manager or an agent, whatever it is. But regardless, like even if you have that little rocket ship sitting on a platform, that's way bigger than most musicians get to. You know, that's such a great place to start and, and a great place mm -hmm. to sort of find yourself because that's that's really valuable. So the question I wanted to ask was about time intentionality, which I think is our yeah. first potential band name. Of, uh, of, <laughs> like this week, of this week's of of show because yeah. i think there's a perception in, in music and pro and the creative industries generally that you know i want to be in the moment man i want to just chill yeah. i want to see what happens i want to wait for creativity to strike and I, I i was intrigued by that phrase that you used and the idea of, of sort of uh this would be what um have you read the war of art by stephen priest yeah of course, of course. He talks about treating your art like a job and setting aside time to write and hone your craft. Um, I wondered if you 100%. could expand a bit on Will's guide to time intentionality. My late wife had a great metaphor. She was a she was a poet. She said there are two types of writers in the world. There are cat writers and there are cow writers. Cat writers just wait for the moment and pounce on it. And she said cow writers just stand in the <laughs> field and graze and eventually, you know, create milk or whatever. But <laughs> I don't quite we won't take the metaphor <laughs> all the way. Milk. But but I thought that was great because I think there is a value to being patient. I do think that like, if you just jump at every idea that comes at you, a lot of those are gonna be bad, but that's fine. But I, and, and sometimes like, oh, like if I rush this idea, it's not gonna come out right. I need to wait for it to kind of germinate in my, in my brain. But you have to be working to let that sort of bubble up to the surface, I guess you could call it. And mm -hmm. if you're waiting for the idea, it's just never gonna come really fast. And it, 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 and sometimes you get super lucky and you get a song that just hits you and you're there and it's great. But I've had three of those in my career that I can count, literally. Like I, <laughs> I, I can name the exact songs. It's like, there are three times in my life when a song struck me like a lightning bolt. All the other ones mm -hmm. came from just sitting down with a guitar and strumming and singing and or like kind of having an idea in my head and then literally just sitting down to think about it and trying to kind of work it out in my head before I sit down at a piano and work it out. Like that's, a, that's valuable too. But even, even the best artists in the world, it's so rare that you get these lightning bolts of creativity that, mm -hmm. and those only come when you're really like working and prepared and, and have been your brains, that muscle's just going. I call it Zen mode because for me, the best time of writing is when you can just have a routine every day. You're doing the same thing. If you have a job, you go to work, you come home, you make dinner, you sit down, you write. For me right now, it's I go to the coffee shop, I work on video stuff till lunch, I have lunch, and then I sit in the studio and work. Like if I'm doing that every day or whatever, three times a week or something like that, and you get in that routine, your 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 brain is suddenly allowed to be creative. And it's just so much easier for your brain to not have to worry about anything else. It just is focused on what you're doing. So Zen mode to me, or I call it like hermit mode, whatever you want to call it. It's, <laughs> but it's it's literally like you're not gonna bat a thousand percent, but but you're hoping for those times when 
your brain is working and suddenly something happens and it happens more often than not. Like if you sit down and really try, eventually you're going to get something, whether you have writer's block or whatever. Like if you just sit down and literally commit a couple hours just to sit and try to write, eventually it might take a week, it might take two weeks, something's going to come out that you're excited about and then bam, you're off to the races. Well, just to expand on the intentionality bit a little bit further, I think linked to that, musicians want to feel like they're in the moment and creative geniuses that will be struck by lightning bolts every day. Because of that, sometimes, it's not actually just musicians, it's human beings as a whole. They can be scared to set goals because that feels like, I don't know, too structured sometimes. Yeah. How, regardless of whether or not this was, you know, in the early days of Parachute, whether it's now in your, you know, songwriter video era, how is what's your relationship been like and do you have any actionable tips for setting goals as a creative when all we do want to do is go and dream away our favorite lyrics or be inspired by a movie type thing so that that oh my gosh this speaks to me so much because i need hard deadlines i struggle when it's (laughs) open-ended and it's just like because parachute was great when i was with parachute because we always had a tour booked. So it was like, Mm. hey, you have three months to finish this and then you're leaving (laughs) for six months. Like you gotta go. And so now, especially not having parachute and that sort of structure, I found that giving myself hard deadlines, for me right now, I set it, I I book a trip. So whether that's driving up eight hours to see my parents for a weekend or something, or Mm. like going out to Los Angeles to to take, whatever it is, it can be anything or whatever. I just, I need a deadline. So Recently, it was it was going up to see my parents last week. So I went up to Virginia. I just got back today or yesterday. Mm. And it's really it was really nice because I have these four songs that I've been producing and trying to finish. And mm. I just said, like, I have to get them done before I leave. And it's amazing when you set that sort of timeline. It really, yeah. uh, whether big or small, it kicks the brain, my brain at least, into gear in a way that just sort of being like, oh, I'll finish that soon. I'm I'm the king of <laughs> leaving ideas at 90% and then I'm done, you know, and then I'll, I'll come back to that later. And six months later, I'm like, oh yeah, that's on. So for me, I, I need deadlines and especially big ones too. Like my goal this year is to put on like a solo album and I don't really have any expectations for it. Um, hmm. It's a really important album to me. It's about my late wife and it's the first, you know, one of the first times in my life, like I'm like, I just have to put this music out. I don't care who hears it. I don't necessarily mind if it doesn't do well. I just really want to like say all this stuff. And so on the long-term side, I, I just kind of have to set a like goal, like I'm going to finish this album by the end of the year and I'm going to mm-hmm. put it out next year. Or I, and, and especially for, for like social media where the numbers are so set, like they're black and white, either you hit yeah. this number or you don't. Even soft goals are great. Like I want to, I want to like just have a bigger YouTube following than I did at this time last year, you know? Yeah. And, and I have, I always kind of write down numbers like, oh, I want a hundred thousand YouTube followers by next year at this time. Those to me, it's just more like, it just kind of, again, kicks my brain into gear by, by just putting that on paper or kind of thinking it in my head or saying it out loud to somebody. You know, we're all perfectionists. I could work mm-hmm. on a song for years and always find something yeah. to change. And you hear about Peter Gabriel, you know, my favorite album of all time is So. Yeah. And you hear about that album and it's just like, Brian Eno basically saying like, I had to take the tapes away from him because it was just too like, <laughs> literally like I had to hide them from him because he wouldn't stop. And I, I, I know exactly how that feels. So having a deadline where it's like, well, it's done now. It's mixed. Yeah. It's going to, or it's, it's on its way to be mixed and there's nothing you can do about it now. It's amazing how quickly too, my brain just forgets about that song. It's like, okay, that's cool. On to the next one. But mm-hmm. I can just get so caught up in that uh, kind of finishing, like I'm going to leave that and come back to it. But deadlines are really important. And also, and that just, relates to goals like goals for me are just deadlines and goals for me are sort of like 
road marks or you know like signposts along the road where you can say like i'm trying to get to that signpost maybe it doesn't hit the timeline that you're looking at but if you don't have those there it's just so open-ended and overwhelming for me in a way that i think probably a lot of artists can relate to it's just this ever expanse this giant expanse of creative possibilities and <laughs> it's amazing how fast that gets honed in when you have a deadline coming um, so well, one of the things that I think is really interesting about your journey, and without striking your ego too much, you know, I confess I am I w- was and am a big fan of Parachute and a lot of the things that you've done, so it's very nice to be able to chat to you about this, um, is the transition with the way the industry, with the way the world is changing. I feel like you guys have always been very good musically with Parachute, and then obviously yourself in adapting to the ever-changing world of socials. And I think yeah. one of the easiest ways, uh, you know, you can describe it is, most musicians, most creatives are a storyteller of some way. You yeah. clearly are. And I think you've done a very good job of f- for adapting to what you might call the admin, the platform or the way the world wants something, but still yes. being able to tell the stories that you want to tell. Um, so again, regardless of whether or not this is specifically music you want to take it down or the fact that uh, you know we haven't talked too much about the great social videos that you do, I get the feeling you actually quite enjoy making those social videos. Like they yeah, feel I like do. videos that you want to make and they feel fun and I feel like that comes across. And you know, that's the biggest issue so many artists have, right? They're like, oh, I've got to do social, I've got 100%. to do this. Um, so trying to wrap that into a precise question, how have you <laughs> kept it fun? Um, how have you kept it to a point that you're enjoying it, both songwriting and uh, the social content? And I guess any tips for for doing that, for telling stories in a way that you find fun? I think right now, the biggest challenge for artists, especially coming up and, and who are younger, especially a lot of people I talk to here in Nashville who mm-hmm. you know, are just getting started and, and kind of wondering where their place is in the music industry. It Again, it's such an overwhelming amount of content out there right now especially music stuff. If you go on TikTok or Instagram or, or YouTube or even just, you know, release stuff, it's, yeah. it is overwhelming. And you're like, I, how, am, how on earth am I supposed to do this? Um, <laughs> for me, I love video stuff, to be honest. Like we, we were making skits in middle school as with my band members before we were a band. Like we were friends long before we were in a band and we would make stupid videos like <laughs> me and our drummer. Um, yeah. So I, I think I come from a, a slightly different place in that I, I genuinely love making video stuff and editing it. I know how overwhelming that can be for some people, and I totally get that. But I also think that there, it's just kind of the reality of, of today's music industry. And for me, what really lights me up is kind of, like you said, figuring out a way to tell a story within the confines of whatever that platform is. So I'm always fascinated by like, how do YouTube videos work? Long form, like 20 minute long YouTube videos. And, or especially TikTok. It's like, I went into TikTok, not because I was like, I need to get big, but it was literally like, I wonder if I could make something work that would like catch on there. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because it was this like platform. At the time, you know, I just wasn't in it like thinking, oh, I'm going to use this to blow up my music or something like that. It was much more like sort of a game, you know, where it was yeah. like, oh, like I wonder if I could figure out a way to, to make a funny joke at the beginning. And now it's very much storytelling where it's like, how do I geek out about music and let other people geek out with me? Because that's really what it is. It's it's all these stories now that I heard in studios from producers or friends of mine or musicians, you know, that kind of get passed around musicians. And you're like, man, I think other people would really like to hear these kind of music nerd out (laughs) sessions that I would have. So for me, it was very much out of a place of curiosity. I think for young artists, it's overwhelming but there's there's two ways to do social media you can do the way that a lot of artists do which is 
the kind of standard like I'm gonna play my music and point up at the lyrics or something, you know, like like the, the classic. I'm gonna sit in my car and do the the TikTok video. But I think it's so much more interesting and fun when you can f- try to figure out a way in that's not sort of just following the the company line. I think a lot of people can find the same kind of curiosity and joy, like like the same way when you chase down a song and you're a songwriter or like you find the right guitar part to play in a song. It's it's the same feeling of like, I want to find an interesting way that like catches on. The other thing is you have to be shameless, which sucks. <laughs> but that's like why I like doing it because I also like have no shame in my body. I'll try anything. And if it fails, <laughs> it's like, it's embarrassing. It's kind of whatever. <laughs> and so you kind of have to commit to doing that. But I think that if you start looking at it, not as like, oh, this is a tour, but oh, like, I kind of, I, I want to figure out how I can do this in a way that like kind of maybe gets people interested and maybe it can get a few more views. The great thing about, about social media is as much as people hate the algorithm, it is like you're kind of playing the lotto in a lot of ways. Like you're getting to play the algorithmic lotto. And I think that it's important for musicians now to realize that like you're, that's not the means to the end. That's not, that's not going to be your ticket to ride, but it can be a really fun sort of not game to play with yourself, but just sort of like a a fun little adventure where you're like, I want to find a way that's interesting and cool to promote my music that maybe isn't going to go super viral or something like that. But at the very least, I can be like, oh, that's working. That's kind of, I'm getting more views doing that. Cool. I'm going to try to figure out how to make that even better. And then honing it into something that, oh, like now that's starting to go a little bit. It You just have to see it as not necessarily like, oh, this, I just have to keep doing this just in case I go viral. To me, the, the fun is in is in the journey of like, how do I find something that's unique to me that that's responding in the algorithm because so often like you write a song and no one hears it but the video you get to try it and people like literally the numbers will respond to you right there yeah. and that's such valuable feedback that you can then sort of take that and say that didn't work at all or oh that kind of worked let's see how we can make that even better and trying to change the mindset from oh this is a chore or oh this is just how i'm gonna get big to saying like no this is just one other like creative journey where i get to sort of figure out my own voice in this world, in this crazy, like extensive world of TikTok. But also just, if you see a video and you're like, that's really cool, be like, well, how do they do that? Figure it out and try to do it yourself. Mm. Cause to me, that's kind of how I did things too. But for different subjects, like me, I saw these technology videos that I would watch where they had the history of this technology stuff. And I was like, man, I love that format. I love the kind of vibe. I wonder if I could do that for music stuff. And just sort of mm. figuring out like, what sort of sets your little chest on fire at a certain point when you're watching? Like, why do I like this? And then yeah. kind of trying to figure it out yourself. It's a fun journey. It is very hard and not necessarily for everybody, but if you are at all interested in that kind of stuff, like that yeah. to me is a way less toxic way of looking at it than I'm, I'm using this to try to get big, you know? Well, I still got my question from the previous chapter of this conversation. <laughs> Love after it. I go for it. Incredibly politely let you go first. So. <laughs> very Thanks. kind. Um, but I think it's a really key question. It applies to creative endeavors more broadly, so it applies to videos. But Will, how do you know when a song is ready? How do you stop yourself being a Peter Gabriel? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, Bono always said the song's never done. It just comes out. And to me, that's true. I think looking back at Parachute Records, there's so much stuff I would change. You know, <laughs> if I could get back in there right now and re-upload it and no one would know, I would do it in a heartbeat. But... <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how to how to describe it. I have a, this weird feeling sometimes when I'm getting close to the end. I do think there's a leap of faith you have to make where you're just like, there's just a moment where you say, I, I don't know how to make this any better than it is right now. And if you come back in two days, I bet you could find something. But in the, and I, I think it's worth being patient, obviously, and like sitting, letting letting it sit for a little bit, coming back to it. But especially if you come back and you're like, oh yeah, this, and there's nothing that necessarily like 
instantly sticks out at you, it's kind of like, hey, that's it. I'm going to leave it. So my general rule of thumb is I'll take a song, I'll finish it, I'll leave it for a couple days, come back to it, hear it with fresh ears. And if there's nothing that genuinely is like, I'm bored with that part or, oh, like that line sticks out to me like a sore thumb. You kind of have to listen to it. I like to do stuff while I'm listening, if I'm really honest. So I'll, mm -hmm. I literally will pick up my phone and text somebody while I'm listening so that <laughs> my brain is not trying to pick out little things. But in those moments of doing something else, like I'm playing with my dog or I'm, you know, cleaning up my desk while I'm listening, my brain subconsciously can kind of pick out the pot spots where it's kind of, you know, it's, it's not right. But if, if I'm doing that stuff and the song ends and my brain hasn't necessarily picked something out, then I'm like, cool, that's finished. Because your brain, I think, intuitively knows when it's listening to something if it's not good. And video-wise, too, it's, it's if I leave it for a little while, come back to it, and it looks great, then cool, it's done. I don't need to nitpick it. And I think for music, it's very similar. It's, it's just if your brain subconsciously does not see anything after a fresh listen then or hear anything after a fresh listen, then it's not worth going in. Because you could go in and find a million mistakes for sure. But that to me is the moment where I'm like, cool, it's done. Put it to bed. Just call it a day. And I think it's really important too to come back with fresh ears and obviously give, it, give your ears a break and not just like rashly jump into it. But for me, I've just found that my distracted brain is really good at picking out the kind of overarching moments where it's like, something's not right about that particular section. And then I'll go in and be like, oh, I think it's this rhythm or this guitar or how this piano interacts with these strings. Um, and it's funny, like that, that happened to me the other day. I was one of those songs that I finished before I went to Virginia. We're doing the strings for them tomorrow, actually. So we have like a string session set up. Huh. And and the string part was before we even recorded the strings, I have, you know, the MIDI strings in there that I arranged. And yeah, there was a weird clash and, and my brain for the first time after not listening to it for a week, heard that clash. And I was like, oh, that's one note I need to change. And I changed it and it's fine and we'll record it tomorrow and it'll be done. But I think the I think coming at it with fresh ears and not like looking for things to to be mad about, just listening to it. And I think the best way for me to listen to music is to do it how I would normally listen to music, which is I'm cleaning the house or I'm you know, cleaning my desk or playing with my dogs, whatever. That's when I listen to music in general. So I think that's a really easy trick to sort of figure out when it's finished and when it's not. It's funny. We often in life talk about looking at things through different lenses. I like the idea of hearing things through different earmuffs or whatever. And most people aren't going to listen to it the way you listen to it, which is you're picking yourself yeah. apart. You know, most people yeah. are listening to it in the car, on the phone, when they're hanging at home, making dinner. And I think it's important as the artist to realize like, they're hearing the big moves, not necessarily the small. They'll, I think the small things can affect the big feeling of a song, but the big feeling is what they're doing. And that's the way you need to listen to it at a certain point too, especially towards the end. Well, I've got one final question for you, which is not too dissimilar to the first in terms of it's intentionally broad, because I'm curious where, you, where your mind will go with this, which is, you know, there will be countless musicians, songwriters, performers that look up to you, the journey that you've had, some of the very cool things you've done and gone, God, I wish I could do that. So... To the amount of detail that you are comfortable going into without getting yourself sued, yeah. <laughs> are there any things that you would tell yourself or the musician at the start of their career to watch out for? Like there is a common yes. thing in publishing contracts that you know screws everyone over. There totally. is, you know, thirty percent of everything you earn for the next twenty years is not normal. Do you know what I mean? Anything like that that you wish you you kind of yes, protect your publishing at all costs. It's not worth giving up a percentage if you can do it yourself, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that's my specific one is the master, yep. your master rights and your publishing rights are so lucrative. If you can, if, if you get to that point that I like, I don't think people realize how lucrative the master rights are that 
it, it's just like you have to protect those at all costs from from weird deals, from label deals. It, it's just it's not worth <laughs> giving up. It's it's worth more than you think it is. Let's put it that way. Like they're going to tell you it's worth a certain amount, but it's worth way yeah. more than that. And you have to understand that and be really <laughs> comfortable with with what you think it's worth and understanding like you're going to let's say you, you hit it big and you get a record deal. Like you're going to offer a lot of money. But the reason they're offering that much money is because it's worth a lot more money. And you have to understand like what is yeah. the point that I'm willing to give up a certain amount of that that stuff. So that's my specific advice. You're absolutely right. Like to me, the the, the master rights these days, especially with with self distribution and all that stuff, is just you can make so much money if 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 something goes off. And even if it doesn't, like you can make you can make money by just putting stuff out on your own. And the moment you start yeah. dividing that up between a manager and a producer, and it, it's amazing how quickly that dwindles. And you just have to sort of say what's this worth to me and 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 have a really good sense of that before you go into any sort of deal the other thing i'd say is any sort of deal you do you need to have your expectations set at the beginning i think any sort of clash i've had within deals where it didn't go well is because my expectations for what i wanted to do within that deal were very different than the people who signed me and i think having <laughs> a really good idea if, say if i want to be a songwriter and i get a publishing deal here's how i want to write i don't want you know for me it was like they wanted me to go write with a million people every day, two times a day, 10 art, you know, 10. And I wanted to write at home most of the time by myself. Like I love writing by myself. And I think having that expectation going in where you say, hey, this is how I work. If you want to jump on board, great. And I'm will, obviously you're willing to compromise and try new things. And But I think especially in a record deal too, saying like, I'm going to make this album and I'm not going to do it this way. Or I'm willing to do it this way and I'll try this, but maybe... You, you know, this is how I usually like to work. I think setting those expectations, especially as you get bigger and, and understanding, like just knowing how you like to work, whether you like to co-write a lot, whether you like to write, a, write alone, whether you like to produce your own stuff or whether you like to work with other people, having that conversation before you sign anything is really important because that to me is where someone who understands how you work, like an A&R person, especially an A&R person, those kind of people at the publishing companies and the record deals, they can help you work more efficiently. They can help you figure out how to elevate that. But I think there's also the, the possibility that they like don't understand that and they come at it from a totally different way of thinking of how you should work. And that's where the clashes really come in. So just understanding, I like to write songs this way or I want to try writing songs. Like the kind of things you want to do and the kind of things rather than just being like, yeah, I'll sign, sign, sign. <laughs> realizing that the fit is really important with working styles and sort of how they expect you to work and how you actually work. Well, well, we want to keep our word about time and we are over. Oh, so no, you're wonderful, man. I could talk all day about this stuff. This is great. Oh, well, I'm happy to hear it. It feels like you're a kindred spirit to a lot of our values, so this makes us very happy. Uh, and speaking of that kindred spirit, we end every single show by asking the same question, which is as we record this on terrifyingly the 20th of July, 2023, <laughs> What is one piece of new music that you are just personally really enjoying right now? Right now, um, so there's a band from Canada, from Toronto called The Beaches, and they have a song right now called Blame Brett that is just blowing up. But <laughs> every song they've put out from this Brett. record so far is just banger. And I cannot get it out of my head. And it's funny, like, I've I've become friends the with beaches. some of them, just, just but they... And just telling them like you guys are stuck in my head again. Like it's just <laughs> the, the and they and it's four girls, which I love seeing 
like female fronted bands kick ass and they are so good live. It is stupid. Sick. It is just such a great record. I feel like it's going to be. So I'm really excited about the beaches right now. And they re like the songs are just awesome. I love it. Like a pro.